My name is Mary Conquest. I'm your host for Safety Labs by Slice, the podcast where we explore the human side of safety to support safety professionals. We move past regulations and reportables to talk about the core skills of safety leadership, empathy, influence, trust, rapport, in other words, the soft skills that help you do the hard stuff. Hi there. We learn from a very young age what is right and what is wrong. From don't hit your sibling, to don't run a red light, to don't steal money from your company, we understand that there are correct and incorrect ways to behave. Today, we're going to talk about the gray zones of ethical decision making and the psychological dynamics that lead to unethical behavior. And of course, we'll do it in the context of workplace safety. I've got ethicist Bettina Palazzo with me to help me dive into all the nuances that make workplace situations more complex than just right or wrong. Bettina stumbled on the topic of business ethics in the early 90s and soon found out that it is such a rich and exciting topic that she never stopped doing anything else, at least professionally. She suffered through the cumbersome but rewarding effort of getting her head around the philosophical and economic foundations of business ethics won an award for her PhD thesis, and rode off into the sunset to join KPMG, a multinational professional services network, and one of the big four global accounting organizations. There, she helped build their business ethics consulting service, which was tough pioneer work at that time. After a short detour into strategic management consulting, she returned to her true passion and started her own business ethics advisory. Over the years, Bettina has learned that you cannot press ethics into checklists and processes and that unethical companies make unhappy people. She's driven by the desire to create corporate cultures that make work fun and meaningful instead of dreadful and depressing. Bettina joins us from Lausanne, Switzerland today. Welcome. Hello. Happy to be here. (laughs) So let's get into the big question about why ethics, and that is, Why isn't it as simple as right or wrong? Presumably, if a safety manager writes a procedure and a worker Mm. follows that procedure, there's a clear right and wrong way to do things. So where is it that we run into the gray zone and why does that happen? Yeah, the gray zone is because things are complicated. You can't anticipate all the things that can happen in the workplace. So uh, you need to have people empowered that they see things that might be dangerous. You can't prescribe everything because that one day there might be something different. And I'm not a true safety expert, so I have trouble coming up with a good example here. But so I think sometimes it can be things like uh, humidity that changes everything Mm -hmm. in in a work context and you didn't think about this or many, many other little details. And what usually safety experts develop is this kind of radar. Yeah, You want to always kind of check your surroundings and see what could happen. Parents also get this over time that they yes. kind of <laughs> scan the environment around their kids. And that's something... Of course, it's a duty of the company and processes and the safety people to do this for the people, but the people are just always 
closer to the processes and if they're under certain pressures and they don't understand why this is an important safety measure, what could happen if I don't follow this rule, then they might be tempted to not do it or they don't think about it or because we are very often we are on autopilot and we just forget. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, it's like uh, as stupid as don't look at your phone when you walk down the stairs. Like everybody, we know that, but we sometimes do it or when you drive. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So you've answered this with a yes, but I'm going to dive a little deeper. If someone is choosing to ignore a rule, does their intention or context matter? You've said yes. So I'm going to ask you to elaborate a little bit on why. Well, it, it all seems that this feeling that if we have a rule, then everything is fine <laughs> and you don't think about the behavior and people are complex people and that we are sometimes not so rational that we think you know, there are no smart accidents usually. That's why we, we have to carefully look at the context and see why do people take shortcuts. Mm-hmm. We've talked about context in terms of a physical context. Mm. What kind of psychological dynamics are likely to lead to mm. unethical behavior? Oh, yeah, just for the physical context. So there's one important thing that's also known with lots of research. And there is the special case with the BP refinery in Texas, where they had this big explosion, where the physical context played an important role because people were just overworked. They were tired mm -hmm. out of their mind. Mm -hmm. And this had this catastrophic results. And what kind of psychological risk factors have you seen or, or would you expect to see in workplaces? Mm. There are many. We, we know but there's more and more research that shows that um, we have many biases, we have this impression, we, we think, oh, this won't happen to me, and this overconfidence, discounting on the future, so it hasn't happened, and uh, we will take care of this later, and you keep cutting the cost because you think, yeah, there's still room for it, but then it hits you unprepared. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so often we you talk about parenting and driving, you know, we think, well, it, it hasn't happened to me yet. I've yeah. done it a million times and it hasn't happened. But I'm a better driver than other people. Yeah. It has yeah. nothing to do with whether it's going to happen the next time you do it. So, yeah. And it's hard because it, attention is one of our scarcest resources, especially today with all the distractions we have. And I think one of the most important things challenges to safety that it's a little bit boring and you have to pay attention to it all the time mm -hmm. and get on people's nerves and keep bugging them with it and being uncomfortable. Yes, it's uncomfortable if you have to put in your ear protection. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Any kind of PPE, it's like, oh, I can't yes. move as freely. It's like, yes, but you're not going to get killed by your hairnet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you talked about three common ingredients to workplace accidents, and those are performance pressure, time pressure, and power. So can you explain what you mean mm -hmm. by these, how these factors influence workplace safety? Yeah. So to imagine this context and the psychological drivers that can push people who have all the good intention to be ethical and to set, to be safe, 
it varies with every organization, how hierarchical they are, how profit-driven or time-driven they are. But uh, let's just imagine oil drilling platform. And there we know that they are struggling all the time with work safety. And it's a really dangerous place to work because if something happens, you can easily lose a limb or even die. And we know there are two situations when the safety regulations, when you have most breaches of safety regulations. So the first situation is when the platform isn't running, when there is some problem to fix. And here we have to know that oil platform is really a money-making machine and makes a quarter of a million dollars a day. Mm-hmm. So people run around like crazy because they want to get it up and running again. And then you forget, uh, you're pushed to forget about uh, the safety instruction because you want to be fast and get into the profit zone as soon as possible. And the second situation is when a thunderstorm is coming up and they have to brace the whole structure so nothing flies around. (laughs) And there you have time pressure. And very often in organizations, what you have, and that's what you can see in many, many corporate scandals, you have a combination of both of them. So that's really the mortal cocktail time and performance pressure. And then that's often pushed also by authority, by power. Mm -hmm. If the boss tells you, get this thing running no matter what, and not saying, but please also pay attention, don't uh, mess with the safety protocol, then people will want to fulfill what their boss is telling them. Yeah. And I think safety professionals struggle a lot with, of course, their main focus is safety, but someone might be reporting to a boss whose main focus is a different pressure, right? That time pressure, Mm. there's a power dynamic there that it's like, well, they want me to do it safely, but they really want me to do it fast. So I might just cut some corners, basically. And so sometimes a safety manager is able to affect time or performance pressure, but sometimes they're not. The examples you gave you just, I mean, Mm. it's the nature of the business. Mm. What can a safety professional do in that situation? Where else can they focus to make it easier for staff to make ethical decisions? Yeah. Well, what they know, for instance, from hand washing in hospitals, which is so important to avoid uh, infections, mm-hmm. is so that they that also tried everything from uh, posters in the toilets to bonuses to uh, fines to whatever. But they found out that the most effective thing is if senior physicians do the, the role model task and wash their hands frequently. Mm. This is the most powerful thing. So what safety, consequently, what safety managers need to do is to win their leaders because the safety manager is often understaffed, I imagine. And, and even if you would, you, you can't put one safety manager behind every employee. So everybody needs to be a kind of a safety manager. And especially the leaders need to understand that they are under constant observation. And if they don't, religiously follow the the safety protocol, you can just simply not expect that other people will. Yeah. I mean, leaders set the tone, right? For all kinds of how we treat each other and uh, all kinds of everything. Yeah. Yeah. So get the leaders on side. 
Uh, that's yeah. a good piece of advice. Mm. Talk to me about the curse of knowledge. What is that and how does mm. it affect safety professionals? Yes, the curse of knowledge is that the more you know about a subject and you're an expert, you get into this kind of dynamic where it's very hard for you to imagine to not know what you know. Right. So uh, you say one word, like you said, uh, PPE. Mm -hmm. And uh, many people don't know that it's personal protective equipment. That's actually a great example. Yeah, so that's, we, we use abbreviations. And it's yeah. not only abbreviations, it's also concepts. Mm -hmm. what we, so we, we say one word, but the expert has a whole universe of meaning behind it, whereas the other per person only hears the word and doesn't really know what it means. Mm -hmm. And that's very difficult to overcome once you're an expert. So you need to constantly check with your target group that they get you, or you need to, you have all the little pieces like Legos. Yeah, yeah. Let's imagine you have a whole pile of Legos, which is the data, your safety data. And for you as an expert, you look at this whole pile and you see the whole story. You see like a whole Lego house with a little dog and uh, <laughs> a tree. And so you, for you, that tells a story. So what you need to do as an expert is to put your insider knowledge into a story so that other people can understand it. Mm. Yeah, that's what could be an example. So it's a, a communication it's role. a communication thing. So you need yeah. to be in constant contact with the people you want to educate and ask them mm -hmm. if they understand it and also give them the room to tell their stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can imagine if you only sort of associated with other safety professionals, yeah. you would have this common vocabulary and it would be pretty easy to forget that your average person who's doing a very specific technical job, I mean, they haven't been trained. So questioning assumptions and also maybe giving them the safety to ask questions. Right. Make it about them. And not feel dumb. Yeah, make them feel smart. Yes. Because they are smart. They are yes, in the processes. They can teach you more about the last near hit that they saw and maybe that they might mm -hmm. even have smart solutions to overcome the problems or, or find better solutions where a cumbersome process could be adjusted so it would be easier for them to actually stick to it. Mm -hmm involve everybody. It's a, a very simple rule that also experts tend to forget because, well, in a way they do know better, but you need to get the street smartness and the expert smartness together. Yeah. I think everyone knows these things abstractly, but they don't always get put into place. That leads me into what is it important for safety managers to understand about the role of authority or power in the workplace? You, you touched on that earlier, but let's go into that a little more. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, especially if you're working in factories, uh, you, you often, well, you have employees that might be easily intimidated by, by people with more power. When I did uh, work safety, um, social accountability audits in production sites, I always found it very hard to get the people who worked there to talk openly to me. Mm. Well, well, they didn't know me, but uh, 
And then that you have different cultures where uh, also authority and speaking openly to authority might be more difficult. You have language barriers, you have intercultural barriers. And, and, and even if you don't have that, even if you have outspoken people, people with authority tend to forget how scary they can be to people that think you can fire them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that you need to be very. So that's why you need to constantly prove that you, uh, if people address you with safety concerns or with whatever concerns, that it will be safe and worthwhile. That they will be taken seriously and that they will not be punished, because otherwise, power just have this potential that it silences people because they they are dependent from the powerful person. Maybe that's not so much, but it's more in their head, even if they mm-hmm. are protected in a very social, um, protective legal context. Like in Germany, you still have this fear from your boss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, earn their trust so they can yeah. be vulnerable. Mm. Because they are, yeah, you're right. I, th- I think that as people move up, they forget how vulnerable it feels to either when you're just starting a career or you're on the bottom of some sort of skill ladder, like you're just learning. Exactly. I mean, you need to address this and you need to model this because your people watch you. If they see that you are not speaking up to your superior and they will learn your behavior, even if they're not with you in the same room with your boss at that time, because there's always rumors and, mm-hmm. and pe- people will understand how, how you are dealing with the t- tricky issues also with your superiors. And, um, Powerful people that they, they think, well, people can talk to me. Why don't they talk to me? They're, they're kind of annoyed because they forget mm-hmm. about uh, what effect they have. And they forget that every instance there counts because they might be impatient with somebody who addresses them because they are stressed out that day and mm-hmm. react in a bad way to a team member addressing them. And the unfortunate thing that is that this has a compound effect. It's not only this one little conversation that didn't go out so happily. There's this ripple effect to everybody else because then the person who was silenced will never speak up again and he will talk about this to his team. And so you can talk to the, this person. So the, the leaders have to prove time and time again that they are open to comments and uh, concerns and that they will take them will react in a good way and and that's not easy also for the leaders because the leaders of course they they need to be sure about themselves and if somebody's questioning them that uh, then so that they might get defensive Mm -hmm. for the leaders the most important thing reaction if somebody comes to them with a problem is thanking people take a deep breath and switch into curiosity instead of trying to fight this off. Even if you think, oh, this is, I I don't want to deal with this. They should be responsible about this. You never know if a small problem might just be the piece of a puzzle of a bigger problem. So curiosity does not kill the cat in this case. <laughs> no, it might keep the cat alive. Yeah, it saves the cat. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Talking a little bit more about communication and mm-hmm. um, power or authority roles, what is transaction theory and how does that affect mm. workplace communication? Yeah. 
So transaction theory is um, a pretty old psychological theory. It was uh, quite popular in the 80s. There was this book, I'm okay, you're okay. Oh, and yes, I remember yeah, seeing I remember that. that one. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the idea that we all are all constantly communicating in different ego modes. So we either are in parent ego mode, in adult ego mode, or in child ego mode. And for communication to be successful, if I am talking in parent mode, then the other person needs to accept that, yes, I'm in child mode here. If not, because this person in, thinks they are in adult mode, that if you if people have teenagers out there, they know what happens. <laughs> yeah. Conflict and Conflict. resistance. Yeah. And since people first get confronted with rules and regulations and things not to do when they are kids, it the risk is high when you communicate as a safety manager with your adult target groups that they think, oh, he's think I'm a child, but I'm working on this huge machine. I'm very responsible. I know what I'm doing. Uh, and they resist you. So the, the, the trick is that you, and it's hard if you are prescribing things to not unconsciously mm. drift into this parent mode. So you have mm -hmm. to uh, find a way to address the others as adults. So what, and, and how do you do this? How do you address people as adults? And here again, we have, it's also important to not drown them with your meta language, but explain it in their way. So make it about mm -hmm. them. Uh, also be in contact with them, ask them about their situation, use examples from their background. And you often, well, we have different situations, different, um, work group, different machinery. So you have to adapt it to them. Otherwise, they have to kind of find out what's relevant for me and, and they are annoyed. So it mm -hmm. don't annoy them and always explain why it's important for them. So don't just say, switch off the, this button before you start cleaning the machine. Mm -hmm. uh, even though you, you might imagine that it's clear that you should, if you don't switch off the bottom to the meat grinder before you clean it, it should be quite obvious. But yeah. repetition, repetition, repetition in an attractive communication from human to human that takes the other one seriously. And for safety people, because for them it's so clear they get frustrated because they keep repeating the same things. They keep having the same non-compliance incidents. So, and that, that easily then gets transferred to even the compliant people with annoyance and make, giving them the feeling that they are disobedient kids. So mm -hmm. always stay modest, always be compassionate and explain it over and over again. Because the thing is, when you can't hear it anymore, it's starting to finally sink in at your target group. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like, you know, exercising empathy in terms of, okay, I know this and this makes perfect sense to me. And rather than asking, how could anyone not just say, well, maybe they don't, how it's possible. What about if, so when we were talking about power dynamics, an employee who maybe feels that vulnerability, even if as a leader, you don't think that you've 
projected that imbalance of power, mm-hmm. if they feel that vulnerability and they approach you more, I don't want to say as a child, but mm. where they make their vulnerability really clear, how could you sort of bring them up and, and yeah. make them feel safe to be like, no, this is a relationship of equals? Yeah. Well, again, so take a breather, don't become impatient. And so you just don't be judgmental. That's the most important thing first. Right. And and try to understand their position. So ask lots of open questions. When did this happen? What did you notice? Mm-hmm. What do you think we can do about it? Yeah. And then you're drawing on, on their expertise. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's the basic technique, which is simple in active listening, where you don't give them advice directly. Yeah, so, so that's kind of devaluating them. So I know how to do this, but guide them to get there themselves. Uh, so mm-hmm. find out because because often we somebody comes to us with a problem, we think we instantly because we are managers, we are smart and we are fast. We instantly know, oh, this is the problem. This is what to do. But maybe not. And it, it puts the other one, it makes them less adult. So ask more questions. Try to understand the situation better. And then ask again or shut up again and say, is there anything else? This is called purging this phase. And you might be surprised what you find out. And only then you can... Uh, Ask the person, so what what would help them? Is there something I can do so you can do this better next time? What did you learn from this incident? And then paraphrasing what they say so they really feel hurt. I think Mm -hmm. giving people the feeling that they are hurt is very magical because they feel valued. And then if you repeat what you understood, they also might understand themselves better and come up with even better solutions than the ones that you as an outsider might suggest. Yeah, so all of that is great advice for my next question, which is about creating a speak-up culture. So this Mm -hmm. is something that we, I hear a lot speaking with people, but I often ask, and you have just given some examples, but you may have others, Changing a culture is something that we talk about a lot, but how does one actually go about doing it? What would your advice be there for that? Well, as again, as we said before, it starts at the top. You can't, when I first started working on speak up culture, I always take this train and I have this, these people I always meet there in the train restaurant and I told them about this and there's this guy Pierre who's always very critical about my stuff and he just said no this you you can't accept people to speak up at work if the top person isn't accessible for uncomfortable truths so this is Mm. uh, so 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 the, the the leadership needs to prove in words and in deeds and in priorities, how much how much time and money do you do they spend on this? Do they actually share stories about their the speak up situations they encountered in their life, for instance? This is what needs to be done and show that they are serious about this. And then you need to cascade it down. Right. And this is hard because it's not something 
you learn in one workshop session because this uh, reaction, if somebody comes to us with something uncomfortable with a concern or even might say you haven't done this right, is always being defensive, especially if it touches about slightly ethical topics. It's called moral identity threat because we all think of ourselves mm. as beautiful ethical people, which in a way is good. If you think of us this way, if not, we are psychopaths. But it's also true that we are all work in progress ethically. We just can't be saints. Yeah. And But if you don't get feedback, you can improve. Yeah, exactly. And I think for all these questions that we ask, the whole discussion and even the whole podcast is there aren't really any silver bullets, but these are still skills that you can practice. Yes, I think it's that's super important that usually in the education that we get in business or in factories, we don't get these skills. Mm -hmm. As kids or in school, we are more trained to kind of hide our mistakes. We don't want to celebrate our mistakes and uh, see it as an opportunity to, to learn. It's so deeply ingrained. We want to be perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's unfortunate since none of us are. <laughs> yeah. So when we spoke earlier, I, I mm -hmm. want to get more specific on the communication piece. Mm -hmm. You mentioned three pieces of advice, and I, I've heard you say them in, mm -hmm. here, but I'm going to go specifically for them. When you're presenting safety information, you have three pieces of advice, and I'd like you to expand on each of them. So they are always start with the why make it about them, and use narrative. Yeah. The why is super important because we, we know, it's also related to the course of knowledge. We, we know from research, the less people know, the more you need to explain them why something is important before you can even start on the how. Mm -hmm. The why should people uh, follow a strict safety protocol if they don't get why this is important? And how do you get the why? You get the why by uh, explaining, well, what could happen to me, to the company in general, if this rule is not observed. Mm -hmm. So this is important for people to understand. And if they understand the why, they're also automatically more motivated to follow the rule because you respect them by explaining it's to them well. So they are seen as rational adult people that get this. And if you have a good why, even the most uncomfortable how is supportable because it's, it's the core of our motivation. Yeah, that's a good mm. point. And then the one is uh, make it about them. Yes. Here, the thing is, of course, uh, as all experts and especially in safety, you have all these regulations and you want to bring it to the people. So you are in this mode where it's about you. You want to, you, you want mm -hmm. to dump stuff on people. <laughs> and, uh, I get that. I, I, I also want it because you are the, I, it's like, um, in, in modern family at one time, there is Sophia Delgado who says, I have all the answers. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, I I could really feel with her there, but if <laughs> if the the people that could profit so much from your answers don't are overwhelmed with this and they don't you haven't done the work to connect with their world and explain it from their perspective, it just doesn't help. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, you you can't really push someone into caring about something. They you have to relate it. Yeah. You have to show them what's in it for them. Yes. And speak yeah. their language. And storytelling works. So this is the narrative the third part yes. of the narrative part is that if you tell people so that's uh, what's what would be one abstract term in in safety management? I'm not sure. Abstract term like risk assessment or like near hit like a near miss if, if so let's say you're in, in a safety training and you talk about near hits right and so it, it's a pretty self-evident term but not everybody might understand it it's like mm-hmm. uh conflicts of interest it's also a fixed yeah. term and everybody has a different so you have some feeling what it might be right uh, but if you understand, so last week I saw my colleague who put this ladder somewhere and uh, it, it doesn't, it didn't look very stable. And so, so, so make a story around it. And then people remember that then much better than if you say, we always, you know, in this kind of policy language, we always take care to attach our blah, blah, blah. The probably mm-hmm. abstract terms they want to catch all letters, all possible letters in the world in one word because you don't right. want, right? So this abstract language can be very difficult. It's like like in uh, an eye-opening thing was for me once when I did the code of conduct training, and we talked about conflicts of interest, and people did not understand it. But when you tell them the story, so your aunt aunt asks you if she could buy some stock should buy some stock from your company yeah, and you know something that could influence the stock price, then they get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think humans are kind of wired for narrative. There's probably right. lots of research on that. I, I'm not familiar with it, but that's just kind of my thought. It, it, yeah, it makes things more concrete, which is what you're saying. Yes, it's, it's, like, it's like, yeah, another example, um, firefighters, they... Mm-hmm work a lot with stories so they tell the new the the rookies they tell the older firefighters tell the stories about so in this in the situation we did this and that because if you don't do this then you will have an explosion for instance and Mm -hmm. that way the new person doesn't have to be in the situation before but if they recognize a similar situation they will know what to do and they will Mm -hmm. remember that much better than in some abstract guideline on when to not open the window in a fire. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So this kind of sharing of stories is super important. And I work a lot with this in my trainings where we talk about some general stories that can happen. And if you do this with a group of people, then all of a sudden they remember their own stories. And all of a sudden they see, oh yeah, this Mm. happened to me. I didn't know what to do. And they all see, oh, this also happened to my trusted colleague. I thought he was never problems like this was just me. Mm -hmm. So So that creates this this safe space, which is super important. Yeah, and it it sounds to me there's a connection there where just by using your narrative you're helping people make it about them, right? They're, right? They see themselves in narratives more than in abstract policies. Exactly. And they all see that everybody has these stories. Usually it's tricky. You don't really dare to talk about them because it makes could, could make you vulnerable if the organization is not 
creating the safe space for you. And you also see it, it's making their lives more difficult if you carry these stories mm -hmm. and you don't really know what, how to deal with them. But if you can open them up about these stories, even if it's just little things, you create this safety and you can catch little because you want to catch the little things because that before they snowball into big things because that's often what happens in safety it's something little and then nobody mm. pays attention to it nobody talks about it and bang yeah well, literally and it's, yeah it's <laughs> part of some complex system and there's some yeah unforeseeable domino effect and yeah you told me also that you think leaders underestimate what safety can do for a company And you talked about the instrumentalization of ethics, which essentially shows people that you care beyond profit margins um, and that that has far-reaching effects. Exactly. Yes, and I've, I've been thinking today when I read your questions that, uh, so why is this? And I think it might have some gender issues in it because caring mm. is, it's this ethics of caring and It's not no accident. The ethics of caring is a feminist ethical theory, which mm -hmm. wants to move away from just, oh, we look from above at the scenery and at, at the situation, and then we look at, at rights or do's and don'ts or utility or duties. And that stays kind of neutral. It's not really connected to the people. So the, the caring part, that's what... Feminist ethics brought to ethical theory makes it more personal. So maybe this caring aspect doesn't really fit into male bravado thinking that that mm -hmm. would be. I, and, and there has been cases where also on oil platforms where they worked on this very macho culture to get people share more about their safety concerns that they care so that they don't play the tough guys in, mm -hmm. in scary situations, which is super dangerous, but um, it, it's a, a real risk. In this example, they, they, they approached us in workshops and they started a conversation and a change about this and they could improve the safety because of this. So because they created space for being more vulnerable for caring yeah yeah and then i also meditated about um so safety is like the basis of the maslow pyramid mm -hmm. yeah if you don't have that how can you be innovate if you are scared going to work be it because it's an unsafe environment in the factory or because you might be harassed for me also harassment is a safety question because it can harm your health mm -hmm. and yeah uh, then you cannot be really be productive yeah and just to go in there with listeners if they haven't heard of the maslow yeah pyramid it, it's a hierarchy of needs as i understand it right like you are basic needs and one of those is safety is what you're saying yeah so first is your your, your physical well-being that you have enough to eat And mm -hmm. then it's that you feel safe. And after that, only then comes self-realization. -re so it's really the, one of the basics. We can't, we, we don't do, we don't get much done if we, if we are scared. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If an organization's leadership is consistently underestimating the impact of safety, 
How do you think a safety professional could try to change that perception? <laughs> that's of course. <laughs> Give me I the mean, magic answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wish. Mm, well, you have to be correct. You really have to embrace this role that you are an uncomfortable messenger to your leadership and explain mm. it to them over and over again, not in a confrontational way, because uh, also here you have to make it about them. Because, uh, of course, the top leaders, they have so many things on their minds. Mm-hmm. And it, it's easy that something like work safety kind of slides into a third priority position. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you have to also make it easier for your leaders to do their thing in safety. Give them some tools where they can quickly and easily do their part. So to tell them if you want to be a role model in safety, always do this and that. Or in every message, address This with one sentence, how should your people know that you care about safety if you never mention it? Mm, Yeah. And if you mention this and and show that this is a priority to you, you will also have more feedback on this because why should people expose themselves and talk to you about a safety issue if you never mention it? Mm -hmm. That's super important. There are studies that show this for ethics. If you as a manager on all levels, because usually it's not only the tone from the top, it's also the tone from the middle. Mm-hmm. You, you always look to the person in front of you, like if you are in have a mountain guide, you, do, you look to the person in front of you. So that's also important to give the leaders of all levels tools how can how they can do this every day one conversation at a time and then you will get a lot out of it because it's it, as you say in your in also in in your motto that it this creates trust and it creates motivation because if i feel treated well and cared for then i will be more, more motivated it's automatic and i think some of the communication tools you talked about in the context of speaking to frontline workers, probably also work with, you know, speaking up to leaders and managers, right? Exactly. As you said, make it about them, uh, use narrative, that sort of technique and answer that question. Yeah. What, what can I get out of this? Like looking at my priorities. (laughs) Of course, work safety, if you have accidents, I mean, they're super expensive. Mm -hmm. You, You can always give them, the numbers, although I do have the impression, I've been thinking about the business case for safety or for ethics or for diversity, it's all the same. It's always that we have tons of studies that show it's a no-brainer to do this well because it saves you a lot of money, it creates a lot of goodwill, it creates lots of motivation and loyalty in your employees. But somehow, just the avoiding of costs doesn't motivate people that much. So maybe we need different goals, like because we want to be a caring organization, because I want to be an exceptional leader, because exceptional leaders care for their people. That's how they get uh, uh, the, the most uh, impact if they care for their people. Which brings us full circle to it's the ethical and the right thing to do. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
of course, you can do all of this because you want to save costs and you want mm -hmm. to avoid accidents and what numbers and whatever. But you, if you want to reach people's hearts, you have to talk from the heart. It's mm -hmm. good to said this, not me, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> well, you remembered yeah. it, so that's good. Yeah. <laughs> I have three questions that I ask all of our guests. Okay. And so this one, I'm going to call it the University of Bettina. So if you were to develop your own safety management training curriculum and you were looking at non-technical training, what core human skills do you think are the most important for tomorrow's safety professionals to develop? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mentioned them already. It's um, the empathy, the active mm -hmm. listening and addressing the others as smart adults. Right. So that's how you get them in the boat. You just, it's not by dumping rules and procedures on them. Right. And maybe even develop some procedures with them. Yeah. Yeah. If you could travel back in time and speak to yourself, and this is at the beginning of your career, and you could only give young Bettina one piece of advice, what would that be? <sighs> <laughs> it's a tough one I know that's I know a, that's a tough one plus you didn't prepare me for that one no well I asked mm. these of all our guests mm. well yeah I usually think I, I would uh, advise myself to try out more stuff be more courageous and worry less <laughs> yeah that's a good one I think that's something we all learn with with age and with experience age. yeah but it's it's a pity that it takes us so long. Yeah, well, that's isn't there an expression about, you know, if I knew then what I know now, like youth is wasted on the young. <laughs> okay, so the last question I wanted to ask is about uh, tools and resources. So are there any practical resources that you think might be particularly helpful to safety managers that are trying to improve these skills? It could be a book, but it doesn't have to be. It could be a website mm -hmm, or, or mm -hmm. concept. Uh, yes. So for what I totally love is a tool called Leadership Embodiment because it is all about um, speaking up and receiving feedback, but it's not only mental. It includes your body and it comes from a woman, Wendy Palmer. Uh, she has uh, the... I don't know what done in Aikido. And so she comes from this non-violent martial art where you take your opponent's energy and just take away his desire to attack mm -hmm. and get him back on the right track. And it's a really a, a great technique and it's rather simple that shows you how you can include the other person if you have to speak up with them and tell them, hey, you can't do this so that they don't get defensive. So you you have to be centered. You don't act out of because you want to be right, because that's something mm -hmm. that's a very tempting in safety because you have this righteous rage and somebody did something wrong and then you can feel so... <laughs> So right, so that uh, people get a big kick out of this, but that will push the other person in defensiveness, and you won't win them over. So you are centered, you are thinking we are in this together, and then 
you explain why this is important. Leadership embodiment is a technique. So Okay, embodiment, yes. Em leadership embodiment, how to give feedback in a nonviolent way. And it also helps you not to accept feedback in a way by uh, if so, so you, the feedback doesn't hit you in your heart and you're all, <laughs> <laughs> but you, you imagine that it drops in front of you at the table and you look at it and you see, oh, is this right? Can, is this useful? Uh, what can we do with it? So you switch it around to a process of learning. So that's a um, super helpful book, highly recommendable. Yeah, I think that would uh, help most people in just really most aspects of life and relationships as well. Yeah, everything. And the, what I especially like about it, that it also takes care of the physical aspect of it, which is we often forget because we are not just heads on mm. sticks. <laughs> <laughs> Bettina, where can our listeners find you on the web? Yes, my website is bettinapalazzoinoneword.com. Mm -hmm. Palazzo's with one L and two Z. Right. Like the palace in Italian. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm mostly uh, on LinkedIn. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. Um, well, yeah. that's all the time we have for today's. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure with all these wonderful questions you ask. I really admire that a lot, how you do that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in, and I would also like to thank the Safety Labs by Slice team, an ethical and fun group of people if I ever met one. Wonderful. Safety Labs is created by Slice, the only safety knife on the market with a finger-friendly blade. Find us at sliceproducts.com. Until next time, stay safe. <laughs>